Thank you. All right, amen. Well, tell somebody you're glad to see them tonight, that you love them. Amen. Turn around, tell, tell more than one person. But somebody else might need to hear it too, right? Amen. Well, I, I bring props tonight. I got a couple props, so I'm going to bring them up. A um, couple, couple props out of my office. People always wonder why I have a sledgehammer in my office. This is to scare the interns, so you know that. No, when I was a youth pastor, I always said, you hit the first one, the rest of them fall right in line. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just that easy. So, anyways, um, uh, big week for me. My, my uh, second middle child is uh, graduating Sunday morning from high school. So, Gavin, so, man, I got going to go home right after this and get prepping and, and keep on working. So, it's a big week. Um, he's... Uh, um, heading off to Ohio Christian in the fall. He's got a scholarship to play soccer, so we're proud of him to do that. And um, he, felt, he felt called about a year ago to go into youth ministry, so he's going to study to be a pastor, so it's really cool. Uh, my oldest son, Ryan, he's, uh, he's 21, and actually I, I just had a, a very, a thought that just my brain the other day, because when I was 21, I was engaged to Margot. And I just realized that my oldest son is the same. Yeah, you see what I'm saying? It freaked me out. So anyways, um, my oldest son, he's three semesters away uh, from graduating from Toledo with a degree, degree in mechanical engineering. So, um, but he's got two, two semesters of co-op and classroom. But it was funny. I tell you that because my oldest son, Ryan, about a year ago when, when my son, Gavin, was just like, ah, oh, man, I, I think I'm, I'm called to be in the ministry. My oldest son was like, he said, I knew one of us had to be in it, and I'm glad it's not me. So he was excited about that, that Gavin has to bear the burden. And uh, so and it's kind of funny because Gavin's going to college in August, right? And I'm like, yes, two, two of them out of the house. I'm, I'm the opposite of, of the mom. You know, dad's like, get out, more food in the house. You know, it's just going to be, you know, a lot better. And then, so I'm thinking Gavin's leaving in August, and Margot tells me yesterday, oh, by the way, uh, Ryan got his co-op at Emerson and Sydney, so he's moving back in for the fall semester. I'm like, oh, got rid of one, and one comes back. I don't know. I hope this isn't the pattern of life here, but anyways. Um, so, but I, of course, my daughter in, in ninth grade, Hope, going to be in 10th grade. So, one more to go. So, we're, uh, we're excited about Sunday. Um, now, I was thinking it was, it was um, uh, Ryan... My oldest is 21. He was, I think, eight months old when I took job here at church. And so I've been employed here for 21 years. And the amazing thing is we came here on April 1st, which is April Fool's Day, if that tells you anything about um, my employment here. But just a quick story about that. I don't know why I feel encouraged to tell you this. Um, maybe just has nothing to do with my message, but let me just encourage you for a second. I was a youth pastor in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. I grew up in Hershey. Carlisle's about, uh, about a 30-minute drive down the road from where I grew up. Graduated from college. Margaret and I got married. Um, I took a volunteer job as a youth pastor. It turned into a, a full-time job. And um, the pastor that had planted the church, it was a relatively young church, just a handful of years old. The pastor had planted the church. He left the church and went to plant another church and installed a guy that just he just wasn't quite ready to do it. And situation turned toxic it, it was bad and the guy um and, and uh in, in the stress of the situation sort of became abusive to the to the staff and and just verbally abusive just really just talking down just and I, he did i don't think he comprehended 
what was happening, if you know what I mean. So, but anyways, um, some different things were happening, and, and I, was, I was making my exit plans, you know, for a while, and the Lord kept telling me no and, and, sh and, and just shutting me down because just for the stability for the church at the time. And um, finally he gave me the go-ahead, and he said, all right, go down to the pastor and tell him you're going to be gone by April 1st. This was like, this was like middle of January, getting close to, to, to February, and I'm thinking, I've got no prospects, I haven't talked to nobody, I haven't put a resume together, I haven't, I haven't done anything, you know, just, no, nah, it's not a good idea. And I'm praying the next day, and, and in my heart, tell them you're going to be gone by April 1st. So I go home and tell Margo, and we got a, a little baby, and she, at that time she was working, but it was scaled back work, and so we were relying on my income, which wasn't a lot, when you're a youth pastor in a small church, I think I was making all of 20,000 bucks or something like that a year, so it wasn't a lot. And she's just like, you're crazy. There's just no way. You're providing for this, and you're going to tell them you're going to be leaving. You've got no prospects. I said, that's what the Lord told me to do. So uh, she sort of relented. I, I set the meeting. I talked to the pastor. I said, you know, I'm not sure why, but uh, I feel that we're supposed to leave by April 1st. And he just looked at me. He really didn't even say anything. Came back the next day, you know, I want you to leave, do all that, all that kind of stuff. And it was weird, and, and we actually started uh, throwing ourselves out. We got a couple job offers, didn't feel either of them were right. We turned them down, and we're getting close to April. And it, long story of how we got connected here. But like I said, April 1st, we put the stuff on the moving truck and drove, drove out here. You know, sometimes the things that that the Lord really have for you. Take those steps of unknowing to get you there. It's, it, listen, I'm a planner, my wife is a big planner. Blind steps of faith that involve your income, your location, and all that kind, it, it's just not easy, but sometimes it's those steps of faith that open the door. Because God can speak clearly in the midst of action, a lot of times more than he can in, in the middle of inaction. And so, so it was like the last song that we were singing, you know, it's kind of like this. How many of y'all believe in Jesus? How many of y'all love Jesus? Do you trust him? That, that's the question that always comes. Do you trust him? Yeah, a lot of people believe Jesus, they love Jesus, but do you really trust him? You're kind of going, yeah, I don't know about this. You know, it's, it's not just the things that, that we know the word says, and that's, that's hard by itself sometimes. You know, following Jesus is the narrow way. It's not always the easiest thing. It wasn't promised to be easy. But then when, when, when specific things, too, sometimes it's just you kind of words, you kind of directions, you kind of leanings and, and things like that, do you trust him? Because if you trust him, then you actually think he's out for your best interest, even if it doesn't seem that way at the moment. Right. You see, people that don't trust people, no matter how you interact with them, they never think you have their best interest in mind. See what I'm saying? It's hard to work with people that don't trust you because they never think you got their best interest in mind, especially when something, as the correction comes or anything that would seem to be negative, it's always. So when, when, when correction comes to your life or direction comes to your life that's hard, you really find out how much you really trust him. Amen? 
So, so we, we've been here a long time, and you just never know the future. So, but I want to know that I trust Jesus. Amen. Not just in following his word that he's given, but following the word as I receive it for things beyond that. Amen. So just want to encourage you tonight. If you're facing some of those things, take the step. You may, you may be surprised what happens. Amen. All right. Matthew chapter uh, 25. Let's go there. And I just want to spend a, a few moments again. You know, some of these Wednesdays that I'm up here, I, I get the word between 4 and 5 o'clock, so I jot some things down with the scripture, and we just kind of let it fly. So uh, same kind of scenario tonight. Matthew 25. You know, in the Bible, you will constantly, if, if you really look, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you will constantly find certain themes that play themselves out over and over again. They come up in different kinds of stories. They're, they're set in different ways, but there are certain themes that, that are the foundation of the word, and you just find them the whole way through the Bible. What I want to talk to you about tonight is, is, is like that. It's another way that Jesus was saying the same kind of stuff, but he says it in a way to, to try to get your attention a little bit. Okay, So if, if you look at Matthew 24, Jesus... Uh, gets done talking to disciples about signs of, of the end times. He talks about being watchful. Then he rolls in to where we find Matthew 25, and we find verse number one, the parable of the ten virgins. Um, one thing about parables, by the way, parables are very theological, but they're not nice theological boxes. They're not nice boxes with ribbons, you know, and bows tied in. I'll give you an example. Uh, the treasure of the field, right? Man's going somewhere, he finds in a field a treasure, he buries it, goes, sells everything he has, buys the field, bam, he gets the treasure. There's a great theological significance of the, the value of the kingdom of God, but Jesus is not telling you if you see something somebody owns and you wonder, swindle it out of them. You understand what I'm saying? So the parables aren't these nice, neat theological boxes all the time. They're stories that bring together an idea that he wants to portray. So we have three parables right in a row that Jesus tells. So he gets done talking about signs of the, of the end time. Uh, he goes into being watchful. Then he tells three parables. A parable of the ten virgins, a parable of the talents, and a parable of the sheep and the goats. So I want to talk about each one of these tonight because... How many of you were here the last time I spoke? Was it two or three weeks ago, three or four? I don't remember anymore. And we, we talked about everything is just founded on love God, love your neighbor. Everything kind of falls under that. Because Jesus said, sum up the law and the prophets. It hangs on these things. If you love God right and you learn to love neighbor right, it's going to be hard to do wrong. Amen? You understand that? It, so the law and the prophets hang on these. We, we can sum up everything in that so but when we come to these kind of parables these are different ways of saying the same thing all right and in other words again themes that you find all the way through scripture they get broken down a little more specific at times but ultimately they point back to the big picture themes that are from genesis all the way to revelation so parable of ten virgins and i'm not sure we're going to read every part of every parable it's, it's like 46 verses to get through all three of them but uh, let's just start there, verse number one. Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. 
and five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Now, this isn't hard. If you want to be wise, let's be wise. If you're going to be foolish, then you can be foolish. And Jesus is pretty straight out. This is a parable about being wise and being foolish. It's not hard. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight the cry was made, and behold, the bridegroom cometh, and go ye out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us your oil, for our lamps have gone out. But the wise answered, saying, No, not so, lest there not be enough for both us and you. But go ye rather to the, them that sell and buy for yourselves. And, and we know how the parable goes. Didn't happen. The ones that were wise were simply this, prepared. The ones that were foolish were not. So, so here we go. If you want to live the Christian life the way Jesus sets it forth, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. But underneath that, we've got some specifics now. We believe that Jesus has ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father in power. Amen. And as the Apostles' Creed said, from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. So Jesus is coming back again. Amen. We should get a big amen out of that. Jesus is coming back again. And we believe that. That, that is our great hope. The great hope is not anything you can get in this world right now. There, there's some things you can put hope in. and everything. They're, they're nice things. But the hope is that Jesus is going to come again and fix this mess in finality. Amen. amen. We believe he's coming. So while you are living a life where you are loving God with everything you have, and in turn then learning how to love your neighbor as yourself, be ready. Because you don't know when he's coming back. You see, <coughs> my grandfather and grandmother were farmers. Um, <coughs> my my uh, ancestor immigrated from... Uh, Switzerland in 1830-something or other. I'm sorry, 1730. I'm sorry, 1730-something or other. And uh, they farmed the same area of, of, of farming ground until my grandfather sold it. So we had this place since before the Revolutionary War, and my grandfather sold it because none of my uncles wanted to continue farming. So they were farmers, Okay. My mom's side, brother in Christ, my grandmother wore a little covering. Never seen her in anything but a, but a dress in the winter. She had, you know, nylon stockings on and a little cardigan. But uh, they, they, they weren't plain, but they were plain, if you understand what I'm saying. Devout Christians as I ever met in my life, okay? So in the summertime, I would, I would go there and I would spend some days with them, you know. Um, I have about a million cousins, by the way. So we would, like, take turns spending days with them through the summer. They had us all summer long. So... Um, and I'm an early riser, still am. When I was a kid, I was a super early riser. I was one of those annoying little kids that was up at like 5.30 in the morning bouncing off the walls. That was me. So, but when I would get up in the morning at, at Grandma and Grandpa's house, I'd walk down the hall, go out, and it never failed that early in the morning. Both my grandmother and my grandfather would be kneeling at the couch in prayer together before the day started. That's my first glimpse of what it means to pray. I learned it from them. So that was in their living room. 
And in their living room, there was no TV. They had a TV, it was one of those black and white little, it was about this big, it was in the basement, shoved in the corner, it was never plugged in. They listened to the radio, they had a radio. Um, but in their living room sat this little, little thing. I don't know if you can zoom in on that, get it up on the screen. Can you get it up there? And it's in the script, and it simply says, perhaps today. Pretty simple. Perhaps today. So when my grandfather passed away and my grandmother was being moved to a home and they were downsizing uh, the property they had at that time, my sister and I fought over this. Now, my sister, she's got a theology degree. She's a, got a master's in something. I don't even remember anymore. She's very smart. And, and when it was happening, I just said to her, I'm here in Ohio. I texted her. I said, hey, I know this is going to seem bizarre, but in their living room, there's this little thing that says, perhaps today, I want that. And she goes, too bad. I already got it. <laughs> sister, you know what I'm saying? Um, now, I'm the baby of the family, so babies get what they want. So I got it. So you see what I'm saying? And... Uh, it's in my office. I have it on the shelf in my office. And it's a simple reminder to me that I need to live each day as if Jesus is coming back today. Preparation. That I'm connecting each day with him. That I'm in right standing with him. That I'm not, I'm not veering off here and I'm not veering, but I'm... I'm because... When he returns, I don't want to be the foolish version in this thing where my lamp was not trimmed and I'm running around trying to get more. I want to be the one that was prepared and ready. You see what I'm saying? So when Jesus comes back, and, and, and whatever you want to say about the eschatology and things that need to happen, it, it can be any time. Right? Perhaps today. Maybe someday I'll be nice and, and at Christmas wrap this up and give it to my sister, but I don't think it's going to happen. So um, this is going to stay in my office, all right? Reminder, perhaps today. See, while we are, are loving God with everything that we have, and in turn loving our neighbors ourselves as we're learning to do that in the best way possible, don't get lazy in the idea that Jesus may come back right now. Be ready. Now, sometimes we get caught up in this too much. And what I mean by that is you, if you let this drive the train too fast, then you just don't care anymore. Let's just get out of this world. The world's messed up. I don't care. I'm ready. They're going to get what they deserve, so on and so forth. If, if you really believe that today could be today, what kind of urgency is it striking your heart, not only for you, but the lostness of the world? You shouldn't let it turn you hardened towards the world. It should grow your love for your neighbor. And I've got to do something about this. Because the ones that aren't prepared, it's not a good ending in the parable. Right? So don't let this drive the train so fast that you just don't care and people get like that. As a matter of fact, they, they want it to happen because they want the world to burn and fry and those in it. 
vengeance, you know. Jesus didn't tell you to take vengeance on the world. Did he? He told you to love your neighbor. And if you really believe today's day, wow. What are you going to tell your neighbor? My neighbor's a jerk. Dog goes to the bathroom in my yard all the time. I hope he misses it. <laughs> right? No, no. Uh-uh. There, there's nobody that is unredeemable. Even the worst of the worst. And that should be something that, that, that hits you in the head all the time as you continue to grow in the love for your neighbor. This is striking urgency in your heart because it's true that I'm prepared, but I want those around me to be prepared also. So Jesus, in that very first parable, he jumps right to the end deal. I'm coming back. Get yourself ready. But if the big theme is loving God with everything you have and in turn loving your neighbor, what does this mean about that? Well, make sure you're loving God and doing what he asked of you. But make sure you're also doing something about your neighbor, which is the commandments just like the first one. Amen? Then Jesus moves on. And he moves on to the parable we call the parable of the talents. And again, we'll just read it. Uh, first couple verses of it, and then you can read it later. <clears throat> we'll talk about it for a second. So again, it will be like a man going on a journey. And notice he connects them there. Again, it will be. That, that, that's um, NIV pulling out of the Greek something there. Again, it will be. So in the King James, for the kingdom in heaven is as a man. So I wanted to see that, that Jesus connects them. You see, these are separate subjects. No Jesus pulls them together. That's why I went with the NIV, because it pulls that out. The kingdom of heaven, as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own service and delivered unto them his goods. And on the one he gave five talents, to another two and another one, to every man according to his uh, several ability, and straightway took his journey. And it goes on to tell what each one did with their talent. First couple did good, the last one did bad. The first couple did something with it, eventually it was multiplied to them. The last one dug a hole and hit it, and that didn't turn out good. In other words, it didn't do anything. So kind of like this, Jesus is saying, he goes from be ready now to this. While you are making sure you're ready, there's some things I need you to do. What are you saying? And, and when you read the parable of talent, in our mind it's easy to go from our translation talent to thinking about talent physically as we think about it. But that, that was like a measure of weight. It was, it was, it was a, a, a later on a, a financial currency. So it's not a direct translation. Don't, don't narrow the talent given as talent. I can play a guitar, I can sing, I can, you know, I'm a good business mind. It, 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 it relates to that, but not, not that only. 
the talent that Jesus gives, or the guy who goes away that's coming back, is anything that's been entrusted to you. Anything. So Jesus is saying, be ready because the bridegroom will come back at any moment. But while you are ready, I've given you something to do. And I've entrusted things to you. And what I want you to do is do something with what I entrusted to you. Start thinking about the stuff that has been entrusted to you. Are you married? Your spouse has been entrusted to you. Got kids? Your kids have been entrusted to you. Got a job? Your job has been entrusted to you. You got a talent? It may not be connected to your vocation, maybe. A physical talent, a, a way your mind works that's, that's unique to you. Can you sing? Are you good in business? I don't know. It's been entrusted to you. Spiritual giftings, they've been entrusted to you. You can think about this in a lot of different ways. But while you are making sure you're ready today, you've got to start doing something with what God's entrusted you with. And in that way, you reflect your love for God, and in that way, you eventually reflect your love for your neighbor because everything reflects back out. Right? Yeah. My wife is my neighbor, you know that? In a certain way, think about it. And she's been entrusted to me. Am I working the way I'm supposed to work with that, towards that? My children, they're my neighbor in a certain way. Right? That's loving my neighbor. What am I doing to raise my children the best way I can in the monster of the Lord? My job. My job affects people. Everybody's job affects people somehow. You do your work as unto the Lord. Amen? It's been entrusted to you. Your talents, your talents affect the other people. Your spiritual gifting certainly affect other people. My second prop up here. I got a sledgehammer. You saw it. I keep the sledgehammer in my office. If you ever been in my office, you've seen this thing. It sits in the corner. I've often been asked why I have a sledgehammer in my office. I told you my grandma and grandpa were farmers. My grandfather passed away. Um, they allowed each of my cousins to go through the house and, and his work area, he, he, made, he, made, uh, he, made, he made things with wood. He was a woodworker. So when he quit farming, he just, that's what he did for, for a, uh, a hobby, for, for his time. And um, we could go into the house and pick something or out in his work area and pick something. And, and me, being in Ohio, I was like one of the last cousins to get there. And like I said, I have about a million of them. So the, it was pretty picked clean by the time I got there. My cousins were not very nice to me, okay? So I walked through the house, and, and my sister had already snagged that. So I was, oh, that was gone. And there was a couple other things I was looking for, and they weren't there. And, and I said, well, Grandma, let's go out to, to his, his work area. So we went out there, and I'm looking around. And, and there hanging on the wall was a sledgehammer. And I asked my grandma about it. She said, yes, yeah, a sledgehammer from the farm. That thing is an antique. And if you got up close on this thing, this, the, the handle of this thing has the life beat out of it. One time they were putting up the big tent. 
out for a church function, a big yellow and white tent that we have. And David, when I wasn't there, took my sledgehammer out of my office and broke the handle on this thing. He's not here tonight. Uh, it's, it's just that old, it's brittle, you can't use it. So he, he, he tried his best to glue it back together and all that. But anyways, uh, this, this thing is super old. It's had, I don't know how many hours of work were put in with this sledgehammer. So when I said, Grandma, I want the sledgehammer, you know, she, my grandma was about this tall, very soft-spoken, and she, she just kind of looked at me, and she didn't say anything. She said, you really want, and, and she had a Pennsylvania Dutch accent. I'm not even going to do it for you, but she, Pennsylvania Dutch accent, and she just asked me, seriously, you want a sledgehammer? I mean, really, a sledgehammer. I said, that's what I want. And I took the sledgehammer, I put it in my office, because every day when I see it, it reminds me, work hard today. And it takes me to the parable of the talents. Now, I don't consider myself very talented. I know I'm good at some things. I don't consider myself very talented. But regardless of whether or not I'm talented, I've been given something to do. I'm married, however that happens. I have kids. I know how that happens. I was hired at a job here. Not sure how that happened. I, I, I know that there are spiritual gifts. I have to believe that because it's just scriptural. So I count all these things, and then I see this, and I go, work hard today. Be the best dad you can be. Be the best husband you can be. Be the best employee you can be. And there's days I, I, don't, I don't measure up, I know. What's nice is when I come back to the office the next day, this is still there. And it reminds me, because my grandpa was a hard worker. He'd always say, plan the work, the work's planned. Well, he did plan the work, work's planned. That's how the farm was won. Just plan the work, work's planned. So I see a sledgehammer, parallel talents. You've got something. And by the way, there is nobody here that doesn't have something. That, that's one of the things we run into with identity in people's lives. I'm not sure I have anything to give. Yeah, you do. God is not, even, even in the parable, the, the one got one. He got something. Well, I was, I was as talented as them. You ain't them. You got something. That's you. We can't compare in the kingdom of God. Amen. There's some that's the eye, some's the hair, some's the foot. But you got a part, though. And whatever that is, Work hard. Now, here's something I've been beginning to think about. It goes back to realizing that my oldest son is 21 years old. I could be a grandpa soon. My, my goodness. I mean, this is just <laughs> blowing my mind. So um, I'm, I'm starting to get older. But one thing that I'm reminded of, no matter how old you get, you got something to give. It never stops. It's, it's always the young guys that think, I'm going to change the world. Okay, great. But us that are older, I'm throwing myself in that boat too. It, it was funny because uh, uh, the, the, um, Pat and, and, and Leanne, or Luann, they, they run our, our 
or singles advanced. They raised the age of it not long ago. I was almost old enough to be in it. Okay, that's what I'm saying. I'm getting old. Thank God they raised the age. Man, I was just whew, not ready for that yet. But, but see, I have to remember that when, when I get old. I still have something. It doesn't stop. The, the things that God has given you don't dry up with age. They actually get more fine-tuned with age. Clearer with age. More refined. See what I'm saying? You know, I, I think sometimes when we, we talk about changing the world, you know, I work with teenagers, obviously, for a lot of years. And we, you go to conference and stuff, and, and you, you guys are always up there going, you've got to change the world. And all the kids are leaving the conference going, I'm going to change the world. And at some point, they realize, man, I can't keep my bedroom clean. How am I going to change the world? You know what I mean? And uh, so, so it's just, just working. But see, as you get older, I think those kind of things, you start to realize, yeah, I can have impact. You start to look past what you feel your shortcomings are. You start to see a little clearer sometimes, right? I just want to encourage you, you know, if you're my age and older, you've got a lot, lot, lot to give. Don't stop. Keep trucking. God's got plans. Amen? But we all got something to give. So while we're waiting, we are prepared today. Well, he still hasn't come back, has he? Then what are you doing while you're waiting? What has he given you? He, he's given you a plan for life right here. You see that? Be prepared, but also work hard. While he tarries, and for whatever reason it is that he tarries, do the best you can do with what he's entrusted you. Well, he doesn't stop there. He goes to another one. Let's see where we're at. Just go back and read chapter 25 later to get all of it. Let's see. Uh, verse 31. And when the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him he shall gather all the nations, and that should really stand out to you. And before him shall be gathered all the nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd dividing his sheep from the goats. He shall set the sheep on the right, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For when I hungered, gave me meat. I was thirsty, gave me drink. And I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we that uh, I hungered, and, and fed thee, and, or thirsty, and gave thee drink, and when Saw we thee a stranger and, and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee. But when we saw thee sick or in prison and came unto thee, and the king answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it for 
one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then, then he goes the opposite way and talks to the ones that didn't do it. And the ending of those that didn't was not good. Be ready. I can come at any time. But while you're waiting, I give you two charges. Work with what I've entrusted to you. And while you're working with what I've entrusted to you, take care of those in need. He just gave you a life plan of what it means to love God with everything you have and love your neighbor. I may come today, but if I don't, work hard. And while you're working hard, keep your eyes open because there's those in need around you. Do something about it. My grandfather on my other side, my dad's dad, had a business in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Lancaster is, is famous for the Amish in the area, but in the small city itself, he had a business that he started after he left the ministry. Um, my aunts worked for him, so my Aunt Janet was a receptionist. She's sitting at the front desk. One day, my grandpa was like, hey, I'm, I'm going out for a walk. It's, it's, it's January. It's cold. It was snowing, windy, one of those days, you know. And uh, my grandfather was a suit and tie guy, always in a suit and tie. And, and in the winter, winter months, he always had one of those overcoats, you know, the beige tan ones with the buttons and the collar and all the way down, you know, you know what I'm talking about. So he had his overcoat on, and he goes for a walk. Comes back like 20 minutes later, walks into the office, and is going back to his office. And my aunt says, hey, where'd your overcoat go? Without stopping, skipping a beat, nothing, he just said, I just saw somebody that needed it more than I did. Walked back from his office, went to work. Now, see, my grandfather didn't clothe the entire world with overcoats that needed it. He had a single coat that helped a single person at that single moment. But that's what it means to help those in need. Not that I have a plan to save the world that way, but you can do something. And that's what's required of you. I'm going to tell you something that, that knocks against an American idea. Listen to me. And I've said it up here before, I'm going to say it again. Not everybody has the ability to pull themselves up by their bootstrap, because some of them don't even have a boot. And Jesus tells us, look out for them. And if your idea of the poor are because they're lazy, all they are is a leech on my tax dollars, you need to get saved. You need to become more Christian. You know, I'm going to tell you a story. I told you a story about my parents taking children into their home. right? Before that, my dad had a stroke. Completely paralyzed him on the left side of his body. He was left-handed. I, I told you a story before. Totally incapacitated, could not work. Came home from the hospital, could not do anything. Totally had to rehabilitate uh, his life. Well, my mom couldn't go get a job because she had to take care of my dad. And any time hiring a nurse to come in would have been more she would have made walking out and getting a job like that. We were stuck. Absolutely, positively stuck. 
We were on government assistance, food stamps. People in church helped us like crazy. We went on food stamps because we were lazy. You see what I'm saying? We went on food stamps because we were trying to leech your tax dollars. We were on government, thank God, government assistance because we were stuck. Not everybody's lazy and just leeching the system. And you can't broad brush everybody because maybe there's some that are. And we have a tendency to turn our nose up at those in need with those kind of ideas. And we have to stop because the Lord Jesus Christ is going to call the nations before him and judge them on this. It's not your job to figure out whether or not they're lazy. It's your job to help. Let them be judged for doing that. You see what I'm saying? And I speak from this emphatically because I was there. I shared this a couple years ago, and I remember Eric talked to me about it a little bit the next day after Wednesday night. I am not rich, but I'm comfortable. I'm not the upper class, but I am very comfortably middle class. My wife and I both have good paying jobs. We've got insurance. We've got the whole deal. I worry that sometimes I am too comfortable. And we talked about it. I don't know if you remember talking about that a little bit. I worry if there's one thing that I'm falling short when it comes to the kingdom of God is that last parable. Am I doing enough? And it's not turning the gospel totally into a social justice thing, but Jesus did tell us to do it. You see? So what are we doing? Again, you can be so caught up in Jesus coming back now that you forget the rest of everything I just said. No, while you are caught up in that he's going to return today, put your hands to the two things he tells you to do. Work hard with what he's given you and care for the poor. That's what he told us to do. That, that is a life plan right there. Right there. Life plan. We, we, it's, it's not that hard. It's really not that hard. We make it hard sometimes. Try to get too theological about everything. No, it's simple. In learning to love God with everything, in learning to love my neighbor, he gives us these instructions. And they all tie right into it. So what are we doing? I hope Jesus comes back today. But sometimes I'm like, whoa, maybe not. So I'd like my neighbor to get saved. You see? I, I, I want it, but I know it's better to be present with the Lord. I understand that. I get it. But sometimes, whoa, there's work to do. There's, there's work to do. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe God, you know, Jesus can wait until after the next crusade. Because there's going to be 10,000 people say, we just hold, we just hold off a little longer. Guys. We've got 10,000 more souls coming in another month or two. You see? We should want it, but at the same time, oh, man. What, what, what can I get my hands to? Who is that person that I can help that shows the love of Christ to them? 
feeling pain. Plan he's given us. So I'm, I'm going to live today like he's going to come back, but I'm going to plan my life and, and live my life like I'm going I'm to live as old as my grandfather did. I'm going to plan on how I can keep working with what he's given me. I'm going to plan on, and, and my wife and I do, we plan on things and how we can help those in need. We, we put plans together. We talk about it. I'm a plan, I'm a plan, I'm a plan, and zap, I'm gone, and, and good. But I'll be ready. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you you've given us a clear word. It's not, not ambiguous here. Given us a word. I just pray we're, we're diligent. We're wise put ourselves out there to do what you've asked us to do. Lord, open our eyes, open our ears to hear. Not just to look out for the signs of the times, but, but to do the things you entrust us to work with and do. To see how we can help those in need. But we don't got to make big plans to change the world. We just got to make do something and change one person, help one person. So lead us, guide us, speak to us. We trust you in these things. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, love somebody on your way out tonight. See you Sunday morning. Be blessed as you go.